This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hi, and welcome, everyone. My name is Maria Neider, and you're here listening to Look West. I'm here with my colleague uh, and the producer of this episode, Jen Hardy. Hi, Jen. Hey. You took the time um, in those last few weeks to um, go through some interviews to talk about a specific bill in this case that um, has taken action here in California that affects lots of people, lots of communities, and that often um, some of the issues that are so very specific to certain communities go underseen. But as we explored into the situation, I feel that at the very least for me, I've learned that so many more folks than what I expected are actually affected by all of this. Yeah, so I got the chance to talk to Assemblymember Two who authored this bill, and the bill was about um, being able to create, conceive a baby when you just don't have the innate ability to do so. And that can happen because you're LGBTQ+, it can happen because of infertility, or you don't have a romantic partner, um, you know, an infertility can be caused by an insane number of different things. So it's an interesting, uh, it was interesting legislation when it was passed. It's still interesting because even though this passed six years ago, it still leads the nation in um, setting parental rights for folks. Assemblymember Chu is not the only guest that you had for this episode. Um, you also had uh, someone who has been directly affected by this issue. Um, can you tell us about your guest? Definitely. Mary Hernandez spoke with us and she has two children and she and her wife were able to create those children using donor sperm and it was very inspirational to hear her story and everything she's gone to um, through from never expecting to be able to have children as a woman who loved women um, to the point of being in this committed marriage with her wife and her wife carrying two boys for them. And um, it was very emotional and amazing to be able to talk to her about her story and um, what hope that can give other couples who are facing this issue. Well, Jen, um, I'm really excited to hear everything that was shared for this um, episode. Um, and I can't wait to hear the story from Mary, of course. But um, let's get started with hearing what Mr. Chu, Assemblymember Chu, shared with us. As you know, we're here to talk about Assembly Bill 960, which you authored a few years back. And wondering if you can just share with us what this bill did. Sure. Well, what we were trying to address was to ensure that all families, all parents are treated equally under the law. Uh, uh, the fact of the matter is many parents, but particularly LGBTQ parents, use assisted reproduction to conceive. And um, some folks can afford to go through this process with the help of a doctor or sperm bank, uh, but that can be very expensive. Um, and many parents, gay and straight, use home insemination to conceive because they can't afford to use a sperm bank or a doctor. But prior to this bill passing, the parental rights of parents who utilized home insemination were in question. Um, the sperm donor could have been given parental rights or in some cases could have even been forced to pay child support 
when the donor was never to be the intended parent. Um, and I also mentioned that before our law, California law was completely silent on egg donors. Um, you know, the, the, the purpose of the bill was very simple to clarify that intended parents are the legal parents and donors are donors. Great. And I know the intent was pretty simple and that the actual law itself had a lot of uh, complicated things in it that actually make it simple with a lot of contracts and everything and that a lot of parents now appreciate that. So what made you want to be the author of this bill? Well, part of it, um, at the time I was working on the law, I was actually in the midst of starting my own family. Uh, In fact, my son was born uh, just a few months after the law went into effect. And uh, when it was shared with me, all the trials and tribulations that uh, some couples have had to go through, I I couldn't imagine going through that experience. I couldn't imagine having a fighting court to establish my parental rights on top of being a new parent. Uh, The fact is there was ambiguity in the law that placed many couples, particularly lesbian, gay, transgender couples in these truly heartbreaking legal battles to establish their parental rights. And that just did not sit right with me. And how does it feel knowing that you've simplified that process for them and that, um, you know, probably donors are probably more comfortable donating because they're not going to be held liable for child support. So more people are able to create the families that they've always envisioned. You know, um, at the time, it was complicated to, to, to fix these different ambiguities in the law. But in hindsight, um, it is very simple, as you said. We, we're really just trying to make it very clear uh, that a donor is a donor, that parents are the legal parents uh, to avoid these heartbreaking legal fights uh, that, uh, that, that, that folks shouldn't go through, particularly when you're becoming a parent. And, uh, and this is, you know, it, it's, 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 it was wonderful to pass a law. Um, it's, it's good to know that, uh, that we're having an impact trying to, to, to make life easier and to make sure that all families, all parents, regardless of your background, are treated equally under the law. Do you think California is still a leader in LGBTQ rights in general and you know, this area specifically as well? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we are still in dark times uh, when it comes to so many of our rights that oftentimes in California we take for granted. Um, but just this past year, there were 34 states that introduced over 100 laws targeting our transgender community, uh, particularly targeting transgender kids. And this is 2021. And in California, uh, our legislature just voted to pass uh, two bills that I have uh, that address different aspects of basic rights for all folks, but particularly uh, for our transgender community members. And, And this shouldn't be the case, but the fact of the matter is California has led the way. We've continued to lead the way. Uh, we started the fight with uh, the fight for marriage equality, um, and we're going to keep leading that fight until someday everyone has true equality. Uh, and uh, regardless of uh, your sexual orientation, your gender identity, um, you're treated just like everyone else. Thank you very much for being a part of that fight and for talking with us today. In addition to Assembly Member 2, I had the opportunity to speak to Mary Hernandez, and we were able to talk about how she and her wife were able to create a family of their own. I'll start off with a really easy question. Can you just uh, share your name with us? Sure, Mary Hernandez. Great. And I'm curious, how did you meet your wife? 
uh, how did I meet my wife? Well, it was actually in a bar. Uh, and it was, um, gosh, in 2011, um, I was really interested in um, learning more about her. And it, it just, you know, evoked those types of feelings in, you know, between two people that is unique. Uh, can you tell us about a little bit about your family? Sure. Um, it's Ashley. She's a physical therapist and uh, she just recently went back to work, you know, not from the, the pandemic issues, but she had hip surgeries. She's had a couple of them. Um, and uh, so now she's back at work on light duty. Um, we have two boys, um, Bodie Franklin, he is four, and Cameron Titus, and he is two. Uh, they are uh, incredible young men who are really learning their own voices right now at two and four and asserting them, which is good, challenging sometimes, but it's good. But they're, um, kind, sweet, um, and sassy. And I think that's the right recipe for, for, for young, young kids who are about that age. Did you always realize that you as two women in love could create a family of your own with children of your own? And if not, how did that change over time? You know, um, that's an interesting, uh, question because my wife and I are, um, about 17, 18 years apart. So because of the, you know, generational differences, um, I think we both had pictures of what we could do personally, um, you know, and what we could achieve. Um, you know, being born in 1967, um, it, it, there were not a lot of, um, it, it didn't feel like a lot of safe spaces to be able to explore your, yourself. Um, so I spent a good part of my you know, twenties, um, uh, you know, kind of figure out my own personal life. And so what that did is it had me focus on um, my professional life, you know, my academics and my career instead of my personal life. Um, you know, I can't speak for Ashley, um, you know, but she was born in 1985. And um, I think that, you know, while she grew up in the Midwest and I grew up in, uh, down in San Diego, um, I, you know, I think that, you know, she, you know, had her own experiences growing up and, um, uh, you know, what she felt like she could envision marriage and kids and all those things, whereas I really didn't, didn't allow myself to dream, you know? Yeah. Because that was not, not the norm, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. And so, um, you know, it wasn't until I moved here to Sacramento um, where I saw people, you know, people like Lori McBride who were gay and out and successful, that it made me start thinking, um, you know, maybe I, I can feel comfortable. Maybe I can explore this part of me. When did you really, I guess, when did you realize then that you could not only be out and successful, but also, you know, thrive and have a family, um, create children of your own, that kind of thing? Well, it was, um, you know, again, it, you know, when I moved to Sacramento in 1999. If you remember right around that time, um, the Knight Initiative was, um, you know, on the ballot in, in 2000. It was the statutory um, definition of marriage that, um, that was ran. And, and when I moved here, I was always involved in, um, you know, in, in politics and in, in helping people find their own voices and expressing my own. 
it it got me um, to recognize that um, you know that there were everyday people who could who, who felt comfortable and that were accepted, right? And and that were professional. Um, and in uh, in you know that group of friends, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you know, we lost you know Prop Twenty Two, and you know, then the whole you know court um, you know lawsuits ensued, and you know, which led to you know Prop Eight and all the all the other things, or the overturning of Prop Twenty Two, and then to you know Proposition Eight. Um, but that core group of people started, of course, coupling up started creating their own families and, and back then we called it the gaby boom um there were a number of my friends and um acquaintances who began to have and plan uh plan it and then have kids uh and it made me think you know for the first time i want that i want that too um so this had to have been somewhere around 2003 2004 and that that's when um because i never like i had mentioned before thought of motherhood um in a serious way because i in my i think inside you know there was this deep-seated feeling that um i wasn't allowed to have that uh, can you share with us the journey of conceiving your children and obviously you know as much as you're comfortable with sharing uh, what that was like for you as a family i know different couples uh, go about non-traditional parenthood uh, and conception different ways and just your journey. Well, um, I'll talk about whatever you want me to talk about, Jen, because I believe in sharing, you know, your experience and, and you know, hopefully people, it'll invoke in something inside of others to be able to think about like, what, what, what does this mean to them and what, what do they feel and what do they want? Um, but it was a lot more... Um, there were a lot more decision points than I had thought of planning a family, right? Because like, we can't, you know, just say, oh my gosh, we're pregnant, right? Well, there has to be a decision points about how are we going to do the donor sperm? Is it going to be known or unknown? You know, what is the ethnicity going to be like? Um, because my wife is Caucasian and I am mixed race, um, you know, and I being the non-biological, I'm not the one that was going to carry the baby. Um, we talked about how do we ensure that, you know, our, our kid, our child represents the both of us. And so, you know, my, my father is Mexican, my mother is Japanese. And so, um, because, you know, you could go out and find donor, donor sperm, I thought, oh, let's go find a Mexican Japanese baby. Um, I think the closest we got to Mexican Japanese was German Chinese. Um, uh, and so, um, it, you know, there, there came a point in time where we realized we didn't have the types of options that we, we thought we were going to have because of a lot of different concerns, right? We wanted, we wanted to use an organization in California because we felt that the laws around um, how um, sperm banks operate were something that we trusted. At one point, we did find a Mexican Japanese donor, but they were in a different state. Um, and I didn't know how that state regulated those things. So I just, um, and, and I don't, it, frankly, I, I'm not even sure of the laws in California that regulate, you know, these the sperm banks, but, um, you know, I just assumed that, you know, if, if we were going to um, find donor sperm that we wanted to use uh, California, um, uh, you know, sperm bank. 
Um, and then, so like, like I said, I, I can understand how people go into the journey and then find themselves, you know, um, without children because of the fact that there are so many different decision points. Um, there wasn't like a central like hub where we could find all the answers to the questions that we had for all the different things that, you know, we had to think about, right? Um, and so, um, but my wife, because she's a very good cyber researcher, found a lot of the answers through um, the Gay and Lesbian Center, um, you know, and um, in other places like that, but she had to pull them together um, um, to help us with that, you know. Um, so uh, th that was, you know, you, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, and then like we had to, as a couple, figure out what were we looking for, right? In terms of personality, in terms of, you know, ethnicity and, and physical makeup and all that other stuff. And so um, in the end, I do believe um, we made the perfect choice because we have the perfect children. And um, it, was, it was interesting because like, my wife got pregnant the first time, both times, um, which was incredible. We did try and have a third child. Um, and the shocking thing was uh, after five tries, we, we didn't get pregnant and um, you know, there's no more donor sperm from, the, you know, from this, this, um, this donor. So we decided that our family was gonna remain you know, a family of four um, and that we are so blessed with the two boys that we have. So you you were able to use the same donor for uh, both of your children? Yeah, yeah, we and uh, we we purchased five vials, um, thinking that we were going to get ten, like we could get five now because it's expensive, right? Five now, we'll get five later. There's a ton of it, but then one day you look on the website and <laughs> it's all gone, and you're like, oh my god, we only have five. Gosh, I hope I hope it's enough, and it was. It was like it was meant to be. Wow. Can you share for anyone who may not know what IUI means? I know just researching this uh, episode that there are an insane number of acronyms used when people are trying to conceive, especially when they're doing it non-traditionally. Yeah, um, um, it's, it's I, you know, what does IUI stand for? I probably knew it when we were in it, but it's just the insemination process that that they have. It's a simple procedure, right? That, that um, the, the um, uh, the doctor inserts the tube and then they inject the sperm um, directly into her uterus. I know some others use IVF. Some do just an at-home insemination. They don't even go to a doctor's office. How did you choose which one to do? Well, we started, um, as we were exploring, um, you know, pregnancy and fertility, we started with um, the fertility unit at Kaiser because we were covered under Kaiser. And um, if I can just say that um, we are, again, incredibly um, grateful for the healthcare that we have um, because it provided the whole full range of services um, that were, you know, nearly all covered from fertility um, to, you know, um, the pre, as a prenatal care to childbirth and, and you know, and, and beyond, right? Um, it was something to where um, my wife's brother um, who lives in Wisconsin, I think it cost him $10,000, $15,000 to have each of his kids. And it didn't, it wasn't nearly like that. The most expensive thing, of course, for us was the purchase of the, of the donor sperm. You know, that was the expense, you know, the big expense we had. Like there were fertility drugs and things like that that we had to use. 
Um, but it was nothing like what her brother um, had to go through financially. So you mentioned a little bit that you wanted to use a California bank because you knew California's laws were better than laws in other states, even if you didn't know exactly what those were. Um, I guess that's kind of the blessing of being in California is you don't have to necessarily know them because they're so protective. Um, did you have to do anything beyond uh, what's automatic in California to make sure your rights are protected, like say if you travel um, out of state or internationally, any of that? Yeah, we did, we did. Um, I adopted my own kids. That's hard to say, you know, that I have to, first of all, those boys are mine, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we were there in the, I was there in the beginning just like any parent is, you know, any spouse. And I was there for the birth. I was, you know, I was loving them before they even came out of the womb. And, um, and the fact that I had to adopt my own kids um, was hard, but it's something that we chose to do. You know, not everybody does because California laws are, you know, they look after, I think, you know, all families. And, um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where we both did it um, in order to, uh, we went through the adoption process in order to secure my rights um, to ensure that nothing could ever interfere with that. Um, and it's, it, was a, it was not an easy process. Um, it is just a long process. It's very um, intimidating. Um, and, you know, it's really an emotional, an emotional thing as well. Um, the fact that, you know, I have to go through an adoption process to adopt my own kids. You know, I'm in a um, in a marriage and, um, you know, it was just one of those, one of those things where it was an emotional struggle for me, but yes, I, I went through the court process to adopt them. Um, very glad you were able to successfully get through that, um, and that you have full legal claim to your kiddos. That's great. Um, so, you know, you're in this position of having gone through this more than once. Uh, what advice would you give other individuals or couples who want to conceive a child in a non-traditional manner? Oh, uh, what advice would I give? Um, I would, I would say, you know, stay focused um, with each other um, and what you're trying to do. Um, you know, every couple have, you know, their own journey to go through, have their own questions, have their own um, things that they envision in, in terms of, um, you know, their family as they, as they want to create it. Um, the kids are not biologically connected to me, but, um, but I think the way that we are uh, connected is, is much deeper than that. Look, look past that, right? Because um, not everybody is going to be able to be biologically connected to your, you know, your kids in a, you know, non-traditional family like ours or, um, and that's okay. Um, but just stay connected with each other to, to ensure that um, the family you're creating is, is truly your family, right? And yours as in the plural and, um, uh, and everything will just, you know, fall, fall into place. One of the, I think the, 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 the things that we think about as well is, um, is that we can't just live anywhere, um, you know, our boys to grow up in where they feel, um, you know, 
safe and um, and that they're not going to be, you know, I know kids when they grow up, like, you know, kids will go, go through some challenges, right, from their friends and, you know, whether you're too tall or too skinny or, you know, I just don't want them to ever feel like um, having two moms is going to be some type of a, you know, opportunity to be harassed, right? And I think I feel like in California, there are a lot of families like ours, um, and uh, they they'll, they'll be able to see other families like ours and know that families come in different shapes, sizes, um, and also our healthcare system is. Um, I think pretty incredible. I had mentioned earlier uh, my my wife's brother and the challenges he had, um, you know, financially in 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 Wisconsin. Um, and our experience was much much different. In addition to that, were there any resources that maybe were more difficult to find that you had to kind of go below the surface that uh, can maybe save some others some trouble and throw out there? Um, you know, I think the, um, the Gay and Lesbian Center had some, I think from San Francisco, had some good legal um, advice in terms of uh, the adoption process. Um, I think, and, and remember, it changes over time. So by the time that, um, you know, we went to, I went to go adopt, you know, my kids, the paperwork from my friends, you know, was no longer 100% accurate. You've got to do all of it, right? You've got to talk to friends who've been through it. You've got to look for all the legal aid advice that you can through various, you know, places, um, and, and and do your research like that. You know, um, I, I think just do that. Do your research. Is there um, leave it a really wide open question? Anything else that you want to share about your journey, about journey others may face, um, about the value of raising your family in California? Well, um, I guess, you know, I don't know that there's anything more to share, but I do want to reiterate, um, you know, communication is like key, right? Stepping back um, when you're kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, when you're kind of like in a moment of, you know, you know, I don't know, difficulty and, and you're arguing or, you know, or over, over something just to step back and to breathe and to communicate and remember what it is that you're, um, you're doing with your, you know, with, with your spouse or partner, or wife or husband, um, because it, it, it is a big step and there are going to be challenges, um, so if you can just remember to stay connected with your, your spouse and um, be able to kind of sometimes step back and breathe a little bit. Um, communication, if you can uh, model that for your kids and your family um, and just for yourselves as a couple, um, just, just stay focused on what it is that you're trying to do. We really appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, you know, it's not easy to do things non-traditionally, but uh, definitely can give others hope. Thank you, Jen, for this great episode and to Assemblymember Chu and Mary Hernandez for joining us in this conversation. Thank you to the Look West team and to our listeners. Until next time. The Look West podcast is produced by California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west.